Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, this week I have a very special guest. I am so excited. Uh, if you're familiar with the show, you know I've spoken about Gary Wayne and the Genesis 6 conspiracy on probably more shows than not. And I always try to mention his book when I'm a guest on other shows because it's it was such an eye-opener for me. Uh, and I was very pleased, I guess, early in the year, I had been on the Grimerica show and mentioned his book. And then um, they messaged me and said, hey, we're going to have Gary on. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. So um, that was really cool. This is such a treat for me because he is so knowledgeable. He can draw connections because he, he knows prehistory and history and, and hidden history so well that he can draw the connections that most people couldn't. And so, without any further ado, I'd like to uh, introduce Gary Wayne. Well, thank you for inviting me to the show, and uh, thank you for the very kind and generous words on the introduction. So, uh, I noticed, uh, or I, you know, underlined in sort of my mind uh, one thing that you said there, which was wasn't the original goal to do when I set out, but as I expanded in the writing of the book, I learned so much as I started to do more research into, uh, you know, adding in parallel mythoses and mythologies and religions. And when I started to get into the mythology, you have to deal with the polytheist religions that go with it. And that opened up the doors to the mystery schools mm -hmm. and the development of the knowledge cult and where that went back to. And, that started me down rabbit holes that I had never intended on going through, which me meant I had to research as much as I could uh, to connect the dots. And that's what I was really, really morphed into from something, let's just connect Genesis 6 and giants and demons to the end time to something that I wasn't expecting to write. So, you know, you do your outline for your book and you try and stick to it and all of a sudden, somewhere on the road to the Coliseum, it got kind of got hijacked, but I think for good for a good reason. So I obviously, you know, was at a point where I was ready to start overlaying that onto uh, the items and the topics that I had researched and what I intended to write about. But, what I wanted to do once I understood that, and it was just, it was at really quite frustrating to organize in my mind and in the files and all these different rabbit holes you're going down was, is how do you tie this together? How do you tell it so that it makes some sense? And it just doesn't look like sort of garbled uh, rantings of a madman, which, you know, some people may think anyways, but, <laughs> but uh, that was the challenge. And so, my approach was, was is to, as I 
sorted out a piece of an information. I didn't put it into the book until I had it sorted out so that I could overlay it right through the book. And then I had to write a book in, in, in you know, sort of a chronology and a layout that would prevent or invite people to read and continue to read. But understanding it's such a long book that if they wanted to go jump forward, like a lot of people love to do, they like to go through the table of contents and read this and read that, that it would still kind of make sense, right? So I tried to do every story, every chapter as a mini story so that people could read it out of order. And if they wanted more information, they could more easily go back to the chapter that was coming up because as the book unfolds, a lot of the information will come up again and again um, as the book unfolds, which is connecting all of those dots in a way that people are reminded but not too redundant because there's so much information and there's so many details that you can't remember everything. So yeah, I do put a little bit of extra redundancy in because I understand that people can't, you know, digest all of the information. In fact, I, I, I tend to recommend to people is read the chapters as you can digest the information because there aren't really any, filler sentences or filler chapters or filler paragraphs every sentence every paragraph is loaded with information i agree i tell people keep the book beside your desk if you're a researcher or a podcaster because it's one of those you're going to continuously go to as you know for a reference because uh, i'm guilty of jumping around as you as you mentioned just because I was somewhat familiar with a few of the, the, the subjects, I couldn't wait to hear what you were saying in there. So I kind of cheated and jumped around, but now I keep it beside my desk because I'm always like, I think Gary mentioned this book, or I think Gary mentioned this subject or even this name. Uh, and so I'll go back and, and look in there. And so I suggest that people get that, the, the book, because you're gonna use it all the time. You're not, it's not one of those, I'm just gonna read it. It's one of those one-offs and it'll look pretty on my shelf. You're gonna be wearing the pages out looking at the book and that's what yeah, you wearing want. Out, and wearing <laughs> out highlighters and, uh, and, and things like that. So I, I have a lot of people who you know, tell me that they use it as a reference book so mm -hmm. that um, it'll give them a good base for what they're trying to research on and then they can go forward on that or they can really relay the information on. And then what I also hear a lot about is people reading the book two, three, four, five times because they find that every time they read, they understand more and they remember more because again, there's just that much more information in it. And so, but what I find the most phenomenal thing and I found it myself is that if you're doing a second read, you'll appreciate the first half of the book way more than you did uh, the first read through because mm -hmm. you already understand the last half of the book and you're seeing the building blocks of that happen in the first part of the book. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. Yes. Cause a lot of the things were foreign to me. Uh, you know, I never realized like a lot of people that this, this history, the, the, the prehistory, the things that led up to present times, I never realized really the um, the occult, if you will, the all this lost knowledge and, and, and what these occult societies believe and why they believe the things they do. So it, it kind of brought so much of why things are the way they are today into perspective. Well, it does. It, it gives you, if you understand its naissance or its beginning and you understand concept that I like to talk about I actually have a chapter named of it in the book that nothing is new under the sun that everything is repeating mm -hmm. it gives you the complete context that you need to know as to what those secret societies are doing today what they're planning and what the language is that they like to talk in and yeah. and you know whether it's taciturn or it's verbal it's always there it's always sort of in their sort of understanding omnipresent in the whole culture so that they're continually brainwashing you and reinforcing their messages and doing exactly what they want and having you do exactly what they want. So um, they want to keep people asleep. So yes. it's, yeah. So it's important to understand the beginning and understand that those goals are exactly the same as they were right from the outset. Mm -hmm. 
And it's amazing that the consistency of that desire and that agenda, even though they failed many times, mm-hmm. uh, they will have an ordained time where it looks like they, then they're going to convince a lot of people that they're going to win, but yeah. it's going to have the same end result again. But it's the, the same thing that's happened over and over and over and over throughout the generations. People just don't understand or recognize the history because we get that superficial history mm-hmm. that they want to present. We don't get the rest of the story that's in behind the meanings and behind the imagery as to how they've recorded that history. Yes, and you know, a lot of people think that uh, this is another one of those times where they're, it's kind of looking as if they may win, you know, with all the world events happening. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me, what's about to happen? And, you know, do you know who's going to win the presidency and how this all is going to play out? And of course, I, I have no idea. You know, everybody has their their guesses. I say never say exactly what's going to happen because you may be surprised. But um, <laughs> well, you always people always are surprised by how prophecy is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I think the best example of that is, you know, you look at all of the scripture that Moses had provided the Israelites. And then you look at all of the book of the prophets. And so the people of the Southern Kingdom, Judea, the ones that weren't exiled and lost into history, but actually came back and resettled out of Babylon. They understood their scriptures inside and out, as did the Pharisees, as did the Sadducees. And yet they missed the coming of their Messiah. And if they, with all of that learned understanding and preparation, and they were looking for the Messiah, they were desperate for the the Messiah, which maybe was their mistake. Mm -hmm. And that would be a lesson I would toss out to modern Christians and in, in, in Jewish people is, is don't get fooled by prophecy mm-hmm. because you have a preconceived idea of how it's going to, to come about. And it's not that you shouldn't study prophecy and I'm a big prophecy buff and I like mm-hmm. to understand it, but what I try never to do is get ahead of the chronology of events. Right. Yeah, And that's the big mistake people mm-hmm. make, and particularly today. So we've had, you know, the, you know, the two Bushes as being Antichrist. We've had Obama as being as Antichrist. We've had Trump. We've had all of these other European leaders, and people mm-hmm. are pointing all the way through. And the thing is, is that the occult forces, they want to bring on the end time anytime sooner than the ordained time. So they're mm. always in preparation to bring it about, no matter how far along the technology is, but God has reserved a specific generation and an, an ordained time. And it won't happen until that generation. And then those last years don't fulfill those last seven and particularly the last three and a half years after antichrist is crowned but there's going to be a lot of things happening before that point obviously that's not going to happen until the restrainer is removed so Mm -hmm. they can prepare all they want Mm -hmm. and they'll be frustrated but they will get their time and that's what i really found interesting about the study of it is that they're trying to build exactly what god has given us in prophecy Mm-hmm. Yes, and so this this is about a contrived plan and an agenda that they've come close many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, only this t- point in time, it will all but destroy the world, except that Jesus steps in and prevents that complete destruction. Mm-hmm. Well, I read um, kind of goes along with what you're saying. I read in a book called uh, Freemasonry and Catholicism by Max Heindel. He just says it plainly that they believe that there is uh, a battle for the soul of mankind between the uh, the Seth and Cain bloodlines, and uh, you know, of course Seth being the uh, coming from the priestly shepherd class, and uh, Cain coming from the worker warrior class, builder class. You know, you can see that. You can see that if you look hard enough. You can see that battle and the people that 
even if they don't know they're in that type of battle, they are. They are. And again, they use their words very, very specifically to not only talk in double entendres and in coded messages for the adepts who they're, they're also speaking to will take di deeper meanings because that's basically, you know, part of the whole mysticism aspect. But they choose those words specifically for those types of meanings. And, and what you're saying is you'll notice that they'll never say the word spirit. It's mm -hmm. always soul. And as a Christian, we understand that there's a body, soul, and spirit, and the spirit mm -hmm. comes from heaven. They know they can't offer what they're wanting uh, and or to offer that to anybody else other than what they can do within the physical universe, mm -hmm. which is where the soul and the body work. So the only thing they're able to offer in terms of their religion is, is to try and create godhood within the physical realm because they can never recreate that in mm -hmm. the spirit realm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the, you know, goes back to, uh, you know, the garden and, uh, you know, the serpent tells Eve, eat this fruit and you will be like God. And, you know, you see that left and right in movies, music, yeah. uh, just all around. You see it in politics, even though it's not plainly implied. A lot of these people seem to think they're godlike in stature. And, um, you know, you see that process repeated over and over throughout history. It's just amazing. Right, and they're trying to reunite what they deceived Adam and Eve into doing, even though they knew Adam and Eve couldn't attain that godhood mm. that they were deceiving. What people forget about in the whole story is that Adam and Eve were eating from the tree of life, which was giving them immortality. But they weren't permitted to eat from. They could eat from all the trees except for one, which was the knowledge of good and evil, which the occult likes to call the tree of gnosis and the complete sort of knowledge package that went with it. But the serpent says to Eve that surely, you know, you're not going to die. You'll be like God knowing everything because they didn't realize that if they broke that one law, they wouldn't have access to the tree of life. Satan knew that when he was coaching the serpent to do this. And so they have in the physical universe that offer of godhood that is immortality in the physical universe with uh, unbridled knowledge. And, but that wasn't what was offered to the Adamites, Adam and Eve. He was there to kill them because he didn't want humans to be raised above angels in the future time. And that's why he's been ta attacking humankind ever since. And, of course, when they move forward with offspring, well, then he's going to try and destroy them through Cain uh, and having another bloodline. And when that's not working to his satisfaction, then he introduces the demigod Nephilim as offspring between humans and females, which are going to work together in the antediluvian epoch along with the mystical religions and the secret societies understanding that both are driven from this knowledge of the seven sciences that Enoch son of Cain develops that he learned from uh, Cain that Cain learned from Adam and then that knowledge meshes with the knowledge of the fallen angels particularly just probably just before but by for sure by the time of the creation of the Nephilim so that all of that is in partnership to basically lead the destruction of humankind, right? And all but Noah is, you know, ends up being corrupted by the time of, of, of you know, the last hundred years and the commission of, of Noah to build the ark. And so that's what they were trying to do, was corrupt humans so that they can't inherit the future and that they could win their realm. And they don't want, for people taking over that realm that they're trying to win. They don't want descendants of the Sethites, the, the son that is born, the third son that's born after Abel is killed and Cain is ostracized. They want it for the Cainites, which they believe have survivors into the post-Diluvian world, whether or not that's you know what we believe or not. And the Nephilim, which show up as Raphaim after the flood. So it's for those demigods. And they also believe in a lot of accounts that Cain was 
essentially a giant or his offspring were giant. There's a lot of different versions of how that sort of progresses, but they have that sort of mythos about that line that they become demigods some way as well in leading the priest class. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's amazing to me that uh, they've managed to keep so much of this hidden from the public. Uh, you know, the average person has no idea about this ongoing battle that's going on and has went on throughout history. And, um, you know, they've just, I hate to say dumbed us down, but they really have dumbed us down. Um, and people are not aware of you know, especially fellow Christians, they're not really aware of the enemy and how uh, intelligent and how devious the enemy is. And, um, and that's another thing I love about your book, because it's opening people's eyes to this other world of all these, you know, as you mentioned, the, the secret societies and the occult belief system that is so prevalent and powerful in the background. And, um, you know, and it, it's even creeped into the church and, you know, you have the, the, the new age movement, which I guess come out of the secret societies, at least it's, it seems to be linked to it. And um, it's very powerful. It seems like it's, there's been an, a resurgence of the new age uh, movement, even though it may call it's, it's of different things now, but it yep. seems to be more popular than ever. It is. It's just a sort of an evolution, used their terminology of Gnosticism and polytheism and all the different pantheons out of the past. And, you know, one of the things that is so difficult for people to get their heads around is, is how could they actually have that much control? And I tell them ever since the Nephilim were created before the flood, and usurped the kingships and then again shortly thereafter usurped all of the kingships and all of the religions uh, they have held the complete nobility class amongst their own offspring ever since so they've had this feudal system in place all the way through so if we look to our history which would be the post-diluvian history for the most part we see that that happened very quickly after babel and mysticism is set up in Shinar with Nimrod, which is Sumer uh, or Mesopotamia, and in Egypt. And that's the religion that's going to operate around, around the world and be distributed all around the world, even though the languages are dispersed. And the Rephaim, who are the giants after the flood, are the ones who are going to usurp the kingships after the flood. So they're going to control religion. They're going to control education. They're going to control the sciences. They're going to control the army. They're going to control all of society with their greater family, their cousins and their nephews. And they're the whole nobility class. And that held up to a couple hundred years ago when the rivalries got so extreme that a faction of them decided to say the only way we're going to get ourselves on track to the agenda that we want is, is we have to let uh, the humans who we've been suppressing as the poor um, minions that are out there who are just you know tilling in the soil and providing us with food and we're keeping them in poverty and we're not educating them we're going to need to release that a little bit so that we can create uh, in the continents that we want to settle, which are going to be South America and North America, the platform to get us to where we want to go. Because the languages and the rivalries were not permitting that. So as we go through history, you get a lot of attempts. So you get the beast empires, for example, as the offspring. And with them, they have the Babel religion, right? Which is why Babel is the end time allegory, which is the Enochian mysticism from before the flood. And so the beast empires are trying to get this world empire put into place with this organizational structure, but they can't because the technology will only support so far on supply lines and military ability to react. So they can't do the whole world. But that whole process goes forward until they change their tactic a little bit and say we need to move the world forward with technology and knowledge and then take it away from them take it away from them by turning them into back into the slaves that we want them to be so that's the process that we're seeing today so that they can bring on the new world order that i like to call the nephilim world order 
And you can see that uh, in the Great Reset and the New Normal and all that. And I've been trying to tell people that there is, you know, there is a, an occult side to a big time occult side, of course, you know, to the New World Order. A lot of people just see it as an economic thing or a political thing. But this has been, you know, working up to their goal. You know, their goal for so long. And of course, you know, Manly P. Hall talked about the secret destiny of America. Of course, it doesn't just include America, but um, they want world domination. It is somewhat economical, of course. Uh, it's about power and prestige and money control. It's political, but it's also an occult belief and occult goal. Well, because the one thing that they know is that they need to have the religion in place, which is that universal religion, which is the global Gnosticism that I will like to call it in the book because they're assembling this global cosmology and trying to bring home what they believe is all of the religions to the base religion that they all started from, both before and after the flood. So it's, it's the Enochian mysticism, son of Cain, um, that is the religion of Atlantis or whatever civilization that you want to refer to before the flood and the religion that is refound and restarted at Babel. And this is the religion that rides all of the empires and will again in the end time. So the only way they can bring about the new world orders, they have to bring about this religion and set the table to take over the political nature. So they need that as part of that partnership. So if you don't understand the religious aspect of it, you can't understand the political aspect of it. And if you don't understand that, you can't understand how, and if you don't understand bloodlines, you can't understand the secret societies and how that all works in. So unless you understand those pieces, you get very, very frustrated. And then people, you know, and again, I know people are frustrated with like, well, there's so many different organizations. Who's in charge of what? And everybody's arguing it's this group or it's that group. And that's exactly the disinformation that they want to have. They have a hierarchy, but yeah. it's not how people generally imagine it. That's yeah, you're right. And I know you've dealt with that. And, you know, just my short time podcasting, uh, I've had people ask me, you know, who's in charge? Is it the Masons? Is it the Rosicrucians? Is it the Skull and Bones, you know, Bilderberg, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, it's, it's all of it. You know, they all have very similar goals, but we, you know, I couldn't tell you who is the top of the tier. We may not even know, right? The, the exact top of the tier. And we don't know all of it, but I think we have a pretty good idea. But understand, this is not the only hierarchical structure, because there's a hierarchical structure that takes in what I'll lay out, a global understanding. What we understand today is just the Western side of it. It doesn't understand the Chinese aspect of it or the ancient America's side of it. But once you understand that they had control of all of the dynasties with their bloodlines around the world, with the same base religion, worshiping the same gods, only with different vernacular names, then things start to come into focus. And that's why you need to understand people. Well, I think why people need to understand the global aspect of it. But to make it simple, imagine a tree that would be an evergreen tree. And it has these branches that sort of go up. And down the trunk is sort of the main sort of hierarchy. And as organizations um, branch out at the trunk level of that organization and the hierarchy are controlling all of those organizations in these different branches. Now, I won't, you know, it's, it's, it's too many to cover off. I'll give the, the most important names so that people can understand at the trunk level. So at the trunk level is the first level of adept is third degree, which is um, the York Rite, and the Scottish Rite is the 33rd degree, which is a newer version, which is just split 11 times. So it's the same steps. Now, if we understand that that's not the top level of adepthood, then we'll use the third degree, which is, which is the old order, is that you need to be fifth degree to supervise Masonic lodges you understand that there's a hierarchy in place here. And so if you're an adept, you're an Illuminati. So Illuminati is gonna be, you know, three and higher, right? So Freemasonry is kind of an introductory 
organization. Uh, people, not all of them will become adepts. They just want to control a lot, but you have to be invited. So you have to have some sort of bloodline um, characteristic to your physical nature to be invited because they, they don't want um, sort of non-bloodlines in, involved for the most part, although they'll introduce as long as you're willing to intermarry as you go up, which again, which is why bloodlines are so important. So essentially, adept masons will answer to the Illuminati as you go up. And as you go up, you'll have more organizations branching out all around the tree that the Illuminati controls. And of course, Freemasonry adepts have a particular agenda like the political nature and uh, the army. And we see that in the history of people like, let's say, General Washington being in both government and the army. And I use him because it's a, it's, a, it's a good example of him being a Mason in what areas he was focusing on. And you have uh, the Illuminati who are basically, what their, their role is, is to uh, affect world government and to destroy Christianity. And so both of these two organizations are also infiltrating Christianity at different levels, Freemasonry maybe at the lower levels, Illuminati at the priest level and higher. Uh, and then you also have going up that trunk, you have the Rosicrucians. And then the Rosicrucians are 50% pure bloods at the top and, and graduating adepts coming up. So they're going to be higher than five. They're probably going to be minimum seven and higher. But pure bloods are initiated from childhood. So they're adepts at a very early age. They can't take adepthood because they're too young. And sometimes they call themselves 32nd degree adepts, which is an oxymoron because you have to be 33rd degree to be an adept in the Scottish Rite. It's an allegory saying I'm a bloodline, I am actually higher than third degree or 33rd degree, but I can't accept that title until I get close to the age of 30. I don't quite pinpoint somewhere over 25, somewhere under 30 as, as, as I understand it. And so the Rosicrucians um, are going to be operating more of the higher level organizations. So let's say as the Skull and Bones would be a branch that would be Extent, you know, being operated into and run by the Illuminati, the Rosicrucians as those branches lean out would be like the Bilderbergers or perhaps even the Club of Rome. And then all those organizations underneath each of those branches as it goes out, right? So you understand that trunk. And then above as you go on the trunk, you get to the Committee of 300. And these are all bloodline families in the West. And some people say the Club of Rome answers to the Committee of 300, but it's either one of the two um, or both. Because you have, uh, let's say, for an example, with the Bilderbergers, you have a pure blood aspect, which is the higher level of the organization. And then you have the invited lower members. So you get people, let's say, like Clintons or uh, Gates or people like that who are uh, summited to a Bilderberger meeting held by the pure bloods and given their marching orders for a year, and then they come back, right? They're carrying out that agenda. Of course, the Rosicrucians, they have as their agenda the continuation of the knowledge of their past, of their whole occult arts and religion, and they are Gnostic at the core with this Gnostic cosmology. They are also the ones who created the Jesuits after the fall of the Knights Templar. So they're actually part of the adepthood of the Knights Templar before their fall. But they're going to establish the Jesuits back inside the Catholic Church to take the place of the Templars who fall in 1307. And they're called the New Templars. And their job is to establish the new Babylon right in their constitution. Um, and if people want to get a hold of me on some information on that, I've got it for, for people. Um, they're to create the new Babylon with, within the church as this Babel religion. So they, they want that as sort of the central location on the seven mountains for uh, the end time universal religion. And they're to control education and control of the seminaries within 
the uh, Catholic Church. So they're reporting in probably at two levels again. One would be into the Rosicrucians, and the other one would be probably into the Committee of 300 with the Black nobility part of the Vatican Church and Catholic Church and the Italian aspect and their bloodlines that go back to the senators and the nobility of ancient Rome and the Caesars. And so you have one other group that they've created that fits in there, which is a, uh, an organization reporting to um, the Rosicrucians, as well as being operated as part for the lower end functions by the Freemasons. So they have different portions of it. That's the Royal Society, who are created by the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons in 1660 and chartered in 1662 by a Stuart, uh, by a Stuart King. And they're to control the education and science outside the church. So the Jesuits control inside the church, the banking and the education and control of the seminary schools, which is why you know they've infiltrated all aspects at several different levels of the church to control doctrine and teachings and to control the education, which has the same goals that were set out for the seven sacred sciences that created secret societies, mystery schools, and the mystical religions was to lead people away from God. Number one goal. Number two is to degrade God at every chance. And the third thing is, is to not give God credit for creating or doing anything. And the fourth is to honor their pantheon of gods at the core. So education is not secular. It's controlled by the wizards and the sorcerers behind the curtain. And you also have the Jesuits who, uh, who, who I said were controlling the banking within the church. And you have the Rothschilds, which was the Bauer family, which were established to control the banking outside the church, again, after the fall of the Templars, who are that sort of nexus uh, expansion of secret societies and to take away that centralness so that they couldn't be as easily taken apart as they were when the Templars were brought down by the French king and, and, and the Knights Templar. So above that, then you get the Council of 33, which is 33 main families and their heads. And then you have the 13 families. And then that 13 families feeds into, and I'm told, and I, I don't have documentation on this, that it feeds into the 13 families around the world, which would include the Ingaroka family out of the Inca dynasty in South America, for one example, would be the Lee family, which is the same as the Xi from the Xia dynasty, uh, and all of the dynasties of the Chinese were all from the Xia dynasty and their dragon gods, Yamamoto, which would be an extension of the, uh, the Shah dynasty in Japan would be also part of that. And you can imagine all these different families around the world that would have their own similar setups and control. And they're all have a rivalry for more control in this new world order. So when you fast forward now to Putin and they don't have a Tsar dynasty and it was taken down by the Western uh, organizations in that rivalry, that they, that's why they have had difficulty in getting things done. Enter Putin who has no genealogical record beyond his grandfather. And, uh, and again, I have a good document on this for if people want it. He actually comes out of the Putyanin which are the original czars. And he is uh, an out-of-marriage offspring who they don't give the full name to, but they give part of the name for her. So Putin is part of Putyanin, which is the czarist uh, bloodlines that originally started in Kiev and then expanded to Meshek or Moscow. And that's why his grandfather lived in the Kiev region, because that's where the oldest bloodlines before the Tsars that took over in the 1600s actually were from, and sort of went back and forth in, in terms of the locations of, of, of that dynasty. So he actually is kind of like a, a partial bloodline, but he's more of a strong man, which I think we'll see a lot of that 
in that 10 king empire of the end time that they're trying to bring about, which is that new Nephilim world order, which is going to be made up mostly of either new Nephilim that are created or descendants of the Nephilim. And I tend to lead on the descendants, but I don't rule out that we might see Raphaim and Nephilim recreated in, in the end time. But I think there'll be just as you've got two feet with 10 toes and 10 horns and 10 kings, and they're like iron and clay, they don't quite intermix. There may be strong men that are part of it based on what we see sort of before us in terms of not all of those dynasties are in ruling powers and those bloodlines may be diluted even though they try and continue to ennoble those bloodlines as they go through. And or they're all descendants, but also keep in mind that there could be, as I said, the, the Raphaim or the Nephilim, because Daniel 2.43 clearly talks about these descendants or the rulers of the rising Ten King Empire that comes from those beast empires are going to mingle their seed with humans in Daniel 2.43 in the King James Version. And that's a very bizarre verse. So that suggests that there's that two races in terms of that control. So that's where I also think that's where some of the strong men come in, that they've got weak bloodlines, but they could be ruling, let's say like North America and or Russia or places like that. You said a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking about it all here, but it was- uh, One of my people... famous rants. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. A lot of people, you know, they, they look at the television, they look at the news, they see these world leaders meeting and they they only think of it in terms of what we're told. They have no idea about these bloodlines and these secret societies. And I've noticed uh, just in the last few years, a lot of times you'll see these world leaders or sometimes a world leader meeting a, a royal, you know, a prince or a king. And it seems to me they have specific handshakes sometimes that they're giving each they other. And I've uh, come to realize that a lot of times they're giving each other the five points of fellowship, you know, yeah. the, the chest to chest, knee to knee, foot to foot. I can't remember the other two, yeah. but, uh, and you can tell it, you know, that they are a part of these secret societies. And it makes me wonder sometimes if some of these uh, leaders and in even the governments or parts of the government may be in cahoots, to use each other's countries as a threat, that way they can control their people, you know, like a, Absolutely. using them yep. as a boogeyman. Uh, so that's something that I would tell people to, to think about. Yeah, and understand and a couple points that I think you raised a couple of great things in there that I'd like to just sort of flesh out a little bit more is that when the current West looks at Putin as somebody gone rogue, they're not really trying to take them out, right? Not really. They huff and they puff and they bluster and they send letters as some presidents have done. <laughs> I won't name them, but I think everybody knows who I'm talking about. But they don't really do anything to stop them at this point in time. And all Putin is doing is, is he's saying, I'm not against the new order. I want a bigger role. And that's yeah. exactly what President Trump has been trying to do, is mm -hmm. create a bigger role, a more important role in this greater new world order. And I'm not saying Trump is, is a bloodline. If he is, he's quite weak in the bloodlines. But, and he, he's done a lot of good things. But he's still moving towards that globalist agenda directionally, just mm -hmm. with a greater role. And that's what, what Putin is doing. That's what uh, President Xi is doing. Mm -hmm. They want a bigger role than the Europeans want. And that's the rivalries that come up. So now when they go meet, as you say, they have secret handshakes, secret sig uh, signals, and a different way of recognizing where they fit in that hierarchy of bloodlines. So that if you see an American president that's weak in bloodlines, whether it's Trump or Obama, and they're going to the Saudi kings, who bows to who? Right? The Americans and, bow to the Saudis, right? Exactly. And that's what that's telling you. And all of them have a fit in terms of what family that they're in, in terms of the bloodline. 
and how pure their bloodlines are and how many ennobled scions in there. In other mm -hmm. words, grafting in, noting that scion is the firstborn carrying on that family. It's one of those double entendres of ennobling their bloodlines. And so where you are in terms of that ennobleness and purity is where you fit in the hierarchy of the cult of the bloodlines. So they will, that's why they seem to approach each other in a controlled way, but slightly different depending on who's meeting who. Yes. Yeah. I've noticed that. And I even wonder with Iran, you know, the, uh, the general that we assassinated or supposedly assassinated, Soleimani, I believe was his name. There was mm -hmm. numerous pictures of him with uh, a certain red ring on and a lot of people said that it was some sort of um, Freemason ring. And I have seen those actually for sale uh, on Freemason websites that have, they yep. have a red, a red ring like that. And it makes me wonder, you know, as you were saying, uh, they, they huff and puff and they act like they're going to do something to these other countries. But it, it makes me wonder if Iran is just not another kind of a proxy. Well, I don't know if that's the correct word, but you know what I'm sure. talking about. Yep. I mean, they, they are being controlled. They are a little bit rogue. Mm -hmm. um, but understand the same principles are, are still in place there. So I think and a good way to understand it is, is I mentioned earlier that the Templars are the base organization to all the modern Western secret societies that we have today. And the adepts at that level, whether or not they're part of the Priory of Sion and uh, the invisible ones that are going to recreate the Jesuits, sponsor them, starting with, uh, with uh, Ignatius of Loyola being sponsored by the Montessa Order, which is a bloodline, and Grandmaster Borgia of the Black Nobility is going to fund them and actually become the third leader of the Jesuits by 1570 so that they can you know, get control within the church. Um, but that's another rabbit hole. Um, understand, though, that the Templars were organized in the Middle East and founded in the Middle East by bloodline Masons. Uh, Mason is the older ancient organization. Freemasonry is the modern one that's created after the fall of the Templars by the St. Clairs or the St. Clairs in Scotland. So uh, these uh, Masons form this order and they're working with a group called the Assassins. Of course, people know that with the movies and the games, but they don't know the connections. The Assassins are an ancient polytheist order within Islam. They're part of the Sufis and the Faramon dynasty. And there's, you know, three different sects of that. And of course, they have different uh, Hadiths, and just as the Shias and the Sunnis have different Hadiths, and they don't necessarily get along, but they've had to infiltrate monotheist Islam, just as the Gnostics have infiltrated and the secret societies have infiltrated monotheist Christianity and Catholicism. They've done the same thing. So the organizational structure comes from the Assassins, which is one of those secret societies out of the Middle East, and which is why you have the uh, Shriners who have that respectful symbology back to that portion of their history where they work together with the assassins in the Middle East. And the assassins were used as translators, as mercenaries, and they did that for a very long period of time. And they had this unspoken respect for the Templars until they parted and nobody understood why. But they passed on their hierarchy and organizational structure to the Templars which then married up with their other aspect of the hierarchy and organizational structure of the Essenes and the monastic order of that in its uh, religious mole capacity within the Catholic Church, right, which was already there that were also part of funding and, and, and starting the, the Knights Templar. And with the sons and the first sons of, of, of dynasties like de Bouillon and de Payon and Anjou, who all took their bloodlines back to the Merovingians, uh, Dagobert is the last one, and were all located in the Lorraine region as kings. 
right? And of course, they started the King of Jerusalem title thereafter that the Habsburg dynasty and the Bourbon dynasty has today. So if we understand that that organization, that organizational structure was exported from polytheism within Islam, the Sufis and the Aga Khan, as we understand the leader of Sufism today, then it makes sense that a lot of that imagery and symbolism that reflects who they are and where they are in their belief system and their secret society would be similar. Yes, that is amazing. I, you know, I didn't uh, know anything about that connection until I read your book. And I, I guarantee, you know, 90% of, a, probably 95% of regular people don't know anything about that. And, and, and the role that uh, the Templars ended up playing and just the influence they've had on the world, really, but uh, especially the Western world, it's just amazing. I think if people were to get your book and familiarize their, themselves with this history, it's going to make what's happening right now a lot clearer. And they're going to really understand, you know, so much of, of why we are in the position that we are now as a world, and especially as Christians, why we are in this position. You know, you mentioned um, how the, uh, they've, you know, infiltrated Islam and the Christian church. You have this uh, world council of churches that's, uh, you know, it's basically a new age infiltration into the church. And, um, you know, that's, you know, churches are, are teaching all kinds of new age teachings that, you know, beliefs. Uh, I went to a church last year and they were, uh, they were doing the uh, Enneagram, I think. And, you know, that comes right out of uh, the occult teachings. I'm sure that's just one little church and I'm sure that that is very prevalent in other places. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. And it's why they want control of the seminary schools so they get the automatons teaching the standard dogma. And, you know, there's so many ministers that get a hold of me and say, can you send me information on what you're saying in terms of the Bible? Uh, because we've, we weren't taught this in seminary school. So if they're not taught prehistory, and they're not taught prophecy in seminary school, mm. and they're not permitted to talk about it in so many organizations, you have to ask yourself, why is the church who promotes the Bible essentially editing and censoring at least a third of the Bible? because prophecy takes up about a third of the Bible, mm -hmm. let alone the prehistorical part. What's that all about? It's because they're no longer teaching the original doctrines of the Jerusalem church mm -hmm. or the early church. They're teaching a new Christianity in preparation for what's coming. And that preparation is starting to come into fruition with the World Council of Churches, which again, the Vatican has, I think, 13 or 17 members involved, even though they're not officially a member, but they're working actively. And everybody is being told in that council that we have to rewrite doctrine and everybody has to compromise. And in the meantime, particularly led by the Vatican, they're making overtures to Eastern mysticism and to the Muslims to bring them back in, because the next step is, is how do we merge those doctrines back in? And how they do that is they take everything back to the original religion, which means there's gonna to have to be some persecution um, and tribulation and genocide because not everybody is going to accept it, but they wanna bring home the original religion of the world and they say monotheism went rogue that Moses brought back from Heliopolis because they say he was an adept, which he probably was, uh, and was taught all of the occult sciences and arts as being an adopted son into the royal pharaohs uh, before he converted. Um, and what they will reinvent in their assertions is that he brought back the religion of Heliopolis, which was transplanted from Babel with Hermes and Mizram and Ham and that it was the kings probably uh, is, is the most common sort of nexus point where it starts to go rogue in a big way 
um, is is the ones who introduced monotheism. Oh, and okay. that right. But now you have Judaism, Christianity, and uh, Islam all connected through Moses, which is why that's that's the point where they want to draw that start and that he was actually a polytheist mm. Mm. so that they can bring in the Islamic religion and understanding that it, within monotheism today, you have the Sufis who are polytheistic, with, which is in Islam, and you have the Gnostics that are within Christianity, and you have the mystical Jews, Jews that are the Kabbalists mm. and the Essenes, um, who were part of the Judaic religion, which is still operating in all three of those religions that are working to control those religions. And we see that manifest in all three of them today. And pretty soon they'll take down that monotheist sort of connection to uh, our history and change it back. And of course, mm -hmm. the problem is going to be the Christians mm -hmm. and yeah. the de-deifying of Jesus. Because that's the yes. only way that you bring that back to have Islam and Judaism accept that yeah. aspect of it. And they, uh, they understand completely that uh, they cannot allow one prophet to be higher than another prophet if they're going to bring in all these other enlightened prophets that the new age likes to talk about, you know, right. whether it's Confucius or Buddha or whomever, so that they're all sort of on the same wavelength that have been avatared by uh, the fallen angels to bring knowledge, information, technology, and help us on our way to evolving to God. Right, and that, that plays right into uh, Blavatsky and Alice Bailey and Annie Besant and all their ascended masters. Uh, I don't know if they're the ones that came up with that or not, uh, but uh, that plays right into what you're talking about, and that's definitely being pushed in a big way. I see that stuff online all the time, and there was even a, an element to uh, QAnon and they really had a new age slant to them. I tried to tell people about that, but a lot of people didn't want to listen. But uh, uh, it was very similar to uh, the things I've read by uh, Alice and Foster Bailey. And, you know, they would talk about the plan, the plan constantly. And, of course, the same with QAnon. But they would talk about the uh, Gesara and Nisara and, and how basically there's going to be a utopia on earth and all those type of things, you know, try to warn people about that. But, you know, people get so emotional and uh, it just, you, know, you can't really well, get through to people. They're very, very good about having us pick two polarities yeah. that are fighting so that they can cattle herd us into the same direction. And that's right. exactly what they do. So you have to be careful and ask, good, hard, critical questions about organizations as to what's their language, what's their agenda, what is that really telling me about what is going on, and are they the flip side of the same coin to yep. what I'm actually dead set against. Right. But they're actually right. leading me away by telling me that we're going to fight these people when they're really not. Yeah. I know there's that power play within, within the agenda, right? Right. And yeah, I know there was a, I did a show on Q. I just did my view. I was just trying to expose the new age uh, part of Q. And uh, I was looking at the Q drops and there was a, the Q drop 666. And the line was follow the light. And I'm like, come oh, on, geez. man, you've got to look into these things. It's just right yeah. there. And you can see this. Yeah, it couldn't be more obvious when you have symbology like that. And they're going to flaunt it in plain sight. Mm -hmm. But if they brainwashed you enough mm -hmm. and deceived you enough, you won't think anything of it because right. you're not questioning what they're saying or what they're doing. Yeah. And what I like to tell people, whoever they are, be like a Berean did to Paul. Test whatever Paul did and said against what was written in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And you need to test that about all these groups. And I would add the third element is look for how they talk and communicate and what their goals are, because that will tell you what they're really all about. Mm -hmm. And they're Absolutely. just another secret society. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and they're based, you know, they have such similarities to, you know, Freemasonry and the new age. It's, it's like you said, nothing is new under the sun. Um, yeah. Well, this has been great. We've been at it an hour and I could talk to you for hours. I mean, there's no doubt because guys check out his videos, his book. Of course, I'll have him give you his links, but uh, if you want to spend, if you've got some downtime this weekend, guys, just look up Gary Wayne and Genesis six conspiracy. You can look up his website or do a YouTube search and you'll just find hours of great stuff. Uh, but thank you, Gary, for spending this time with me. This has been such a treat, man. I'm so happy. And I'd love to have you on anytime you want to promote anything or talk about anything. You have an open door policy here, but uh, please tell the people where they can find your book and all your information. The, the easiest and best way to get a hold of me is through my website. I have an email on that website and contact the author. And that's the genesis6conspiracy.com. That's genesis6 with the number 6conspiracy.com. And so if you want to ask me a question, if you get a hold of me, I will get back to you. If, uh, you know, I haven't really mentioned any documents, um, but I have a lot of documents that's over and above what I have written in the book, or I might go deeper or talk about things that aren't, aren't in the book. An example might be the Jesuits. I don't talk a lot about the Jesuits in, in my book, but um, I am talking about them. I'm just not naming them because it's such a rabbit hole to go down in the book. And uh, people are so confused about where the Jesuits fit in. I didn't want it to be a distraction. Well, I have a three-part series that walks you through their creation and where they fit and how they answer in if you want that. Or if you want to know how the seven sacred sciences work into Freemasonry today, I've got information on that. Um, or if there's items in the book that you want some more detail on, uh, I have a lot of documents. Just ask me uh, if I've got the document, I'll send it to you at no charge, or if you've got a question, I'll answer that. Also on the website, uh, to do a little bit more self-promotion, has a generous excerpt on all 98 chapters in my book, and you'll get a good feel for the book from that excerpt, and uh, you'll know whether or not it's the book for you or not. And you can also purchase a signed copy off of my website, if you want an autographed copy, or you can connect over to Kindle on the Buy uh, Now page and uh, get the digital version, or you can buy from Amazon.com or Amazon.ca or uh, BarnesandNoble.com. So lots of ways to get access to the book. It's also available on most online bookstores in Walmart. Um, it's distributed by bookmasters in the US, so any store could order it in if you've got a favorite store you want to promote. The next best way to get a hold of me today is Facebook um, on my timeline or on Messenger. And again, ask me a question you can post on my timeline. It's open. Uh, and on Twitter at GaryWayne63. Um, I also have recently moved over to MeWe and Parlor, So I'm working those. And, uh, and I just want to mention that because as things go, it may be some of the formats that I need to be, you know, spending more most of my time on right now, but they're still kind of picking up speed in terms of people that are, are on those platforms. So lots of ways to get a hold of me and, uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, thank you for having me and invite me back anytime. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. I, I suggest people uh, look up all your links and uh, guys, if you follow him on Facebook, he posts some fantastic, very, um, they're long posts and some people, you know, can't read more than two or three sentences and, and they get bored. But if you want to actually learn, then please follow him on Facebook because they are fantastic posts. You'll learn so much. He, he's, he's written another book on Facebook. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> easily. But um, now another thing I ask you is you're working on a prophecy book, if I'm not mistaken. I am. And I'm trying to uh, be a little bit more disciplined and spend more time on it. Um, I got well into it and then I kind of restarted. I just didn't like the feel of it. So I've gotten back to the sort of the, uh, the mission that I think I'm on on it. So yeah, it, my main passion is prophecy as well as mythology and history. Uh, so this one's going to be more prophecy orientated, even though there's prophecy in the Genesis 6. And it's about the lost tribes oh, of the cool. Northern Kingdom. 
Very and cool. how it sort of begins in prehistory with the covenant, the blessings, connections to the Genesis 6 conspiracy. Um, but go into who they are, uh, what prophecy says about them, and where they fit into end time prophecy, which is going to lead into second Exodus. Very cool. Well, I look very forward to that. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to be going back and forth to Genesis 6 conspiracy because so many of my shows you know, talk about the New World Order and uh, you know it directly lines up with a lot of your information and your research. So I really appreciate you being on once again. This has been a real treat and I hope to talk to you again in the near future. And there you have it, guys. My interview with Gary Wayne, author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Be sure to check out his website at genesis6conspiracy.com. That's the number six. Look him up on Facebook, join his group, follow his page. He said he was on Parlor and MeWe, I believe. So I will link all those on the show notes, of course. And so thank you for listening. And if you feel led to, please leave me a review, a good review, preferably. <laughs> um, I had a pretty cool opportunity this past week to be on Sam Tripoli's Patreon show. Sam Tripoli is the host of the Tinfoil Hat Podcast, and it was a lot of fun. Sam was great, and he's at the top of the game, but still super humble, super funny, and super easy to talk to. And I have some more special things lined up. I've got another interview already taped with somebody special. And then another interview scheduled. And I think I've got a couple opportunities on my own coming up that I will share with you soon. So with that being said, as always, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting me. And I just want to wish you cheers and blessings for the rest of the week. And remember one thing, as always, their order is not our order. See you guys.